This morning we are uh, continuing our series on seeing Jesus. Um, Let's look at something different for a moment. That's our church's logo alongside our mission statement. Our mission at InTown is to love our community to life by pursuing gospel restoration. In the fullest version of our mission statement, there's a paragraph-long definition of what we mean by gospel. I'll summarize it this way. It's, it's good news. The good news that God's grace is available because of what Jesus has done. That's the gospel. And we believe that that good news about Jesus has the power to have significant impact on the world. And so, again, in that fuller version of our mission statement, after you read this definition of the gospel, you read these three kinds of impacts that we believe the gospel has and that God is calling us to pursue as a congregation. The first of those is put this way, the gospel transforms the hearts and minds of individuals. The gospel, this good news about Jesus, has the power to change us. Sometimes we capture that in this way. So think of just a part of that logo and see at the center this cross. It's a way of symbolizing visually the fact that we need to be changed. We need for the gospel, the good news about Jesus and what he has done, to transform our minds, our hearts, our lives, everything about us. Today what we want to do is take some time to remember that that this kind of transformation was at the heart of Jesus' mission as well. When he spoke about the reason God had sent him, he talked in these terms. We're going to see that this morning from John chapter 3, conversation Jesus is having at night in Jerusalem. And a leader from the Pharisees, a man named Nicodemus, has come to Jesus at night, likely because he can't be so open about his interest in Jesus at this stage. It might be dangerous. So Nicodemus comes, and he says essentially, hey, Jesus, you came as a great teacher and miracle worker. That is awesome. And Jesus says, well, actually, I came for something much more fundamental than that. I came because people need to be completely made new, utterly transformed. Let's listen into this conversation. Caleb's going to read for us from John 3. This morning's scripture reading is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord Jesus, we were singing, well, some of us were singing, others of us were humming, (laughs) just a few minutes ago, that you are more than life to us. And because you are more than life to us, we want to hear you speak through the Scriptures. We want to treasure each of these words that you said so long ago, but you speak them again to us here and now by the power of your Spirit. You are more than life to us. Some of us are ready and eager. Help us, help us to be transformed by listening to your word. Some of us believe that you are more than life to us, but we've forgotten it over the past week with all of its burdens and sorrows and trials. Would you wake us up so that we can hear from you again? And some of us, Lord Jesus, have never seen you as more than life. We might find you to be vaguely interesting, Uh, maybe even admirable, but we've never seen you this way through your words here in the Scriptures. Awaken faith, we pray. Amen. So uh, maybe you've had a shower like this at some point in your homeowning or rental history, right? It's the one that's gross. It's the one that's falling apart, um, but it still works okay. We had one of those in St. Louis, and for five years, we kept the garbage bag over part of the shower. The reason is because there were a few loose tiles, and, uh, you know, just kind of cementing them back down and putting some new grout in probably would have taken care of it, right? But uh, it takes a while to get around to that sort of stuff, so we just never did. We, I, just never got around to it. And uh, eventually you said, let's, let's tackle it, let's do it. And um, you start digging stuff out and you find out, hmm, it's more than just a few tiles needing to be glued back down. Uh, that behind those tiles is rot and decay and rust and mold. And so you start digging those things out and you figure out, well, you know, we're just going to have to do a total demolition of the entire bathroom. And uh, that's, that's what it was. Um, So, you know, instead of just a half-hour project, gluing down a few loose tiles, right? It becomes a six-week project because because a whole lot more was needed than what you could see on the surface. Nicodemus showed up to talk with Jesus about how to regrout a few loose tiles. And Jesus said, I got something a whole lot deeper in mind. Um, Here's why, because Jesus knew this. Every person needs complete transformation, a total renewal. We know this applies to every person because this conversation continued in John chapter 3 and this well-known verse in verse 16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. The world, whoever The conversation Jesus is having is not just for Nicodemus. It's not even just for the other Pharisees, the group that Nicodemus belonged to. It's not even just for other Jewish people. As we saw in last week's sermon, 
from John chapter 12. There were Greeks who wanted to know Jesus. The whole world was coming to Jesus. This transformation is something that every person needs. Every person needs complete transformation. Complete transformation. You see, that would have caught Nicodemus off guard because he showed up having a a pretty good theology of transformation already in his head and heart, right? He, He was a Pharisee. He was waiting for the transformation of the whole world. And the way you talked about that as a first century Jew was to talk about the kingdom of God. And and so when Jesus says to him, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God, he was speaking language that Nicodemus would have understood. Hey, you're waiting for the kingdom of God. You're waiting for the whole world to be transformed at this, you know, the end of the age, the day of the Lord. Everything's going to be changed. And Nicodemus would have believed that in order to experience that kind of transformed reality, you have to be resurrected. You have to be living in a body that's no longer under the curse of death. And if you've died, then, then when the day of the Lord comes, you will be resurrected and changed, and your body will be transformed so that you can live in this transformed world. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were waiting for that day of resurrection to come. Some other Jewish groups didn't think there was going to be a day of resurrection. So Nicodemus and Jesus were on the same page when it came to this notion of our our bodies need to be transformed, the world needs to be transformed, this kingdom of God vision. Okay, but how can you be confident that when that day comes, you will experience resurrection and get to enter into this kingdom? Nicodemus had an answer. You do your best to please God. And the Pharisees would have said, we do our best to please God by keeping rules strictly and carefully. That's what we encounter when we read about the Pharisees in the New Testament. These are people who thought we're waiting for the world to be transformed. We're waiting for our bodies to be transformed. How do I know that I'll get to experience that and participate in it? Well, I'm doing my best to please God by keeping His rules and the ones we've made up to go alongside them very strictly and very carefully. Now, there are two ways to do your best to please God. One is the approach the Pharisees took. You please God by keeping all the rules carefully. The other way to do your best to please God is to relax the rules and make it easier to please God. The Pharisees never did that. They were like, ramp the rules up, make more rules, make rules to go around the rules and rules to go around those, and let's keep them all and let's do our best. And then there are other groups throughout history who have said, you know what, we want to do our best to please God. It's hard to please God. Let's make it easier. Let's relax some of the rules. Let's go easy on some of his commandments. Let's not worry so much about obeying him. But either way you go, the path is still the same. You please God so that you'll know that Whatever good thing is coming in the end, whatever transformation is available, you'll get to be part of it. Jesus steps into that conversation and says, hey, Nicodemus, you're putting me in a tough place. You're telling me that you think because of the signs I'm doing, the miracles I'm doing, you think I'm a good teacher and miracle worker. I got to redirect this conversation 
because you're somebody who's waiting for the world to be transformed and you have no clue that you need to be transformed. You have no clue that before I can rebuild your body on the day of resurrection, before I can rebuild the world, I gotta rebuild the whole you. And that happens when you put trust in me. Nicodemus, the reason you should be confident that you can be part of that kind of transformed life one day is not because of your rule keeping. It's not because of rule relaxing. The only way you will get that is through a total transformation that comes through trust in me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is language Nicodemus would have understood. It's this whole vision of a transformed world and transformed bodies. And Jesus says, now let's add to that completely transformed people. And here's the promise. God's Spirit will transform any person who trusts in me. That's, that's the essence of this conversation Jesus is having with Nicodemus and with us. This promise that we need complete renewal, complete transformation, total change of everything about us, not just the world we live in, not even just our bodies, but our whole self needs to be totally changed. And the promise Jesus makes is God's Spirit will do that. And he uses a couple of metaphors, right? Now, he says this uh, first to Nicodemus in verse 3. I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Born again. This transformation is so radical that it's like, it's like being born. The transition from not being alive in this world, in your mother's womb, to being alive in this world. That's a pretty radical shift. Well, Nicodemus, I'm talking about something just that radical, being born another time. Nicodemus doesn't know how to make sense of that, doesn't fit his paradigm. I know the world needs to be born again. I know my body needs to be transformed in that way, but, but my whole self needing to be transformed that way doesn't make sense. So what are you talking about, Jesus? I, you know, a man can't enter his mother's womb and be born another time, verse 4 says. And Jesus says, let me try again. Same idea, different language. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Ringing any bells for you, Nicodemus? I'm trying to help you here. Water and Spirit. Nicodemus, you're a, you're a leader among the Pharisees. You're a teacher of the Scriptures. This is in the Old Testament. You should know it. I'm trying to help you out. Well, here's where Jesus was pointing Nicodemus. It's a passage from Ezekiel chapter 36 that talks about water and the Spirit. There God promises his people, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Verse 26 goes on to say, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put a new spirit within you. Nicodemus, 
You have to be born of water and the Spirit. Remember this promise from Ezekiel chapter 36, a complete transformation that needs to happen. And the first reason it needs to happen is because you're filthy. You're unclean. Your whole heart has been twisted by worshiping idols. Your whole heart is twisted around gods that don't exist. Your whole heart is twisted around those gods that Jason mentioned earlier that make you work so hard to prove that you're worthy of their love. Your whole heart has been distorted by all of that. And none of your rule keeping will change your heart. And if you relax the rules, that won't change your heart either. The only way you can participate in the kind of life that God has in mind that involves transformation of the whole world, transformation of your bodies, it begins with transformation of everything about you. And that has to happen because you're not clean. Your heart is not pure. Your heart is not oriented toward worshiping the God who is real and who is there. And so the first step is, I need to give you a new heart. I need to put a new spirit within you. Jesus says, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Ezekiel's text goes on to say, this is God speaking to his people, I will remove the heart of stone, a hard, lifeless heart that is unable to respond to God. I will remove from you this heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, soft, full of life, able to respond to God. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Wait a minute, I I thought rule-keeping wasn't part of the equation. It's actually not what Jesus is saying, is it? He's saying, look, rule-keeping is part of the equation, but it's, it's what gets produced by this radical transformation that the Holy Spirit accomplishes in your heart and life. When he changes your heart and mind, you now want to obey God's rules. And you're willing to let go of all the rules that aren't God's. And you don't beat people up for not keeping your rules or my rules or this country's rules or somebody's cultural rules. But God's laws begin to matter immensely to us when the Holy Spirit changes us. But that's the result. It's not the qualifying entry condition. Jesus, I'm here. I'm a Pharisee. Let's talk. I kind of got this thing figured out. You're on our side, right? You're a good teacher. You're a miracle worker. You came from God, so you endorse our view of the world, right? We're waiting for this transformation of the world. We're waiting for this transformation of our bodies. And we don't need any transformation of us because we're already good at keeping the rules. And Jesus is saying, you got that rule-keeping thing in the wrong place in your equation. That is not the thing that substitutes for transformation of the heart. That is the thing that results from total demolition of what is rotten and rusted hiding under the surface. And the Holy Spirit will do that kind of change 
in the life of anyone who trusts Jesus. So what do we do? Well, you can read through these uh, eight verses of John's gospel, John chapter 3. And they don't tell you to do anything. They don't say, um, therefore, believe in Jesus. But that's the clear implication. The Holy Spirit is offering this kind of transformation to anybody who will trust in Jesus. So, who would hear that offer and not seek it? Seek the transformation that the Spirit gives. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, it requires a certain kind of posture. A posture I'll describe as repentance and faith. Repentance. It starts by saying, God, there is nothing about me that is so right that it doesn't require total transformation. There is nothing about me that is so right that it doesn't need the Holy Spirit to breathe new life into it. Jesus uses this language in verse 8, the wind blows where it wants to, and you hear it sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. You can see the impact it has on the world around you. He's using that language, wind, well, because in, in both Hebrew and Greek, there's one word that means spirit and wind and breath. So in Ezekiel chapter 36, you get this promise of the Holy Spirit changing our hearts and lives. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, the prophet is looking out over this valley filled with dead, dry bones. And a mighty wind blows across the bones and they are raised to life again. Well, when you read that in Hebrew, a mighty spirit blows across the bones. A mighty wind, a mighty breath from God blows across the bones. It's all the same word and the same thing is true in Greek here. So Jesus is making this clever play on words, right? As he says, the wind blows where it wishes. The spirit breathes where he wants to. You can't control him. You can't predict what he's going to do. But when the Spirit breathes, life happens. When the wind blows, things move. Waves form in the ocean. Trees fall. The wind blows. The Spirit breathes. There is nothing in my life that is so right before you, God, that I could say the Spirit is off limits here because I've already got this part of life figured out. There's nothing about me that is so right that doesn't need you to dig a little deeper and look under the loose tiles and find out where the rot really is and replace it with something completely new, the life that the Holy Spirit can give. That sense of repentance, well, is that for the beginning of the Christian life? Because we typically read John 3 as as sort of this 
this text that calls people who don't yet trust Jesus to do so. And absolutely that kind of transformation and this sort of posture of repentance is for the beginning of the Christian life. But guess what? We're meant to continue as we began. When the gun goes off at the beginning of a race, racers don't run a few steps and didn't do something different to finish the race. The thing they used to begin the race, they used to finish the race. It's the same with the Christian life. So whether you're not a Christian right now or whether you've been a Christian for forever, the, the call is the same. Let's, let's stand before God with honesty and say, God, there is nothing about me that's so right. That it doesn't absolutely need the new life from the Holy Spirit to be breathed into it. And that's true if I'm such a good person and I think I don't need Jesus at all and so I've never become a Christian because I think I've pretty much got my bases covered. And it's true if you've been a Christian for decades. There's still no part of your life that is so right that the Holy Spirit's breath and life is no longer necessary for you. So we... We enter into this desire for the Spirit's transforming work with this posture of repentance. Lord, there's nothing so right with me that it doesn't need the Spirit to breathe new life into it. And that's coupled with faith. This posture of faith that says, Lord, there is nothing so wrong with me that the Spirit can't breathe new life into it. There is nothing in your heart and life right now that is so fundamentally flawed and wrong that the Holy Spirit can't touch it or change it. There are times when you're going to think, no, that can't be true for me. You don't know about my anger issues. If you knew about my anger issues, then you would know that the Holy Spirit just can't change that. The wind blows where it wishes, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit can blow anywhere he wants. And so when we stand before the Lord with repentance and we say, Jesus, I need you to change every part of me, we hold on to faith that says, Jesus... I trust that you can change every part of me. It gives us hope when we think about personal issues like anger or lust or greed or gossip. It gives us courage when we think about issues that are bigger than the personal. We start to say, well, well let's talk about social justice. Let's talk about racial issues for a moment golly, those are just so deep, they can't possibly be changed and transformed, can they? They can. But I'm tired of hearing about racism. I'm tired of hearing about this stuff. Can we talk about something else? No. Let's, let's hold with repentance and say, even if we have changed and grown in that area, 
of our lives and our life together as the people of God. There's nothing so right about our attitudes toward race that they can't use the life and breath of the Holy Spirit blowing through us and across. And we hold those things together. Holy Spirit, we need you to change us. Holy Spirit, we know you can change us. Our confidence is not that we'll be changed because we're good rule keepers. Our confidence is not that we will be changed because we'll relax the rules and make the bar easier for us to get over. Our confidence is in your power to change us so we we can experience real growth and real change and real transformation in any area of our life individually, our life together as the people of God. That's the confidence that Jesus wants us to have as we come to him and trust. Let's apply that one more way. Throughout Christian history, the primary tools that believers everywhere have agreed that the Holy Spirit uses to do his work of transformation in the lives of people are the scriptures and prayer and worship. Now, it is easy to see how each of those could be treated as just one more way to be rule keepers. Right? I, if the Holy Spirit uses the scriptures to change us, then, uh, you know, three verses a day in Greek uh, at 6 a.m. That's my rule, and I'm going to do it every day. And the Holy Spirit's going to change me because I'm good at keeping the rule or prayer. Prayers have to be this long, and they have to use thee and thou, not you. And they have to follow a certain pattern. First confession, and then adoration, and then, and then, and then. And if you keep that rule and worship, well, I mean, that's why we're in the room, right? We're rule keepers, and everybody who's doing this from home, they're not rule keepers. We don't really believe that, but it can easily become that, can't it? Any of these things that the Spirit would use to do His life-breathing work in our souls. We, we have a tendency to see it as just one more exercise in rule-keeping, one more way to keep the loose tiles glued down in your heart. But what they actually are is opportunities for deeper transformation. We bring the posture of repentance and faith into each one. Lord, I'm going to listen to your word right now because there's nothing in me so right that it doesn't need to be absolutely transformed by what you have to say to me. Lord, I'm going to listen to your word right now, whether I'm doing that by myself or in a small group or together with a larger body of believers as part of a worship. I'm going to listen to your word right now because I'm confident that the Holy Spirit will use it to change me. And I need that change so much. We bring that same posture of repentance and faith into prayer and into worship, and they become so much more than just a way to measure our ability to keep the rules. Holy Spirit, use the Scriptures. Use prayer. Use worship to pry up all the old tiles and to show us what's, what's really behind them. As we remodeled that bathroom in St. Louis, we found a whole lot of rotten boards, right? You loose tiles over time, all the water goes through in the shower and things rot. 
And where there's rot, there's rust, because every nail, every screw that's been impacted by that much water over that much time has rusted. As we began to tear out more and more, we found something else that we didn't know was going on in this bathroom. There was a fire in the basement of our house not long after it was first built. And uh, we knew that when we purchased it, and it had, you know, the right steps had been taken to repair things, mostly. But the thing about heat and smoke is that it weakens wood. So not only did we wind up having to tear all the drywall out of this bathroom, the studs holding the drywall up had rotted because of the damage from smoke and heat. Damage that couldn't be seen in the moment when the fire was first extinguished, but that over time led to these studs being brittle and decomposing. And so really it was a total total demolition job. The more you tore out, the more you found that needed to be torn out because it wasn't just loose tile here or there. It wasn't just a little bit of grout missing over in that corner. It was rot and rust and charring. That's the kind of change that each of us needs, that total renovation, that total remodeling, that total renewal. Jesus calls it being born again. One of the reasons that we as a church will constantly come back to that cross at the center is because we believe this. Holy Spirit, root out of us anything that is not right. Use the scriptures, use prayer, use worship to breathe new life into every part of who we are until everything is made new. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are incredible to us. Um, Some merciful teachers would soften the truth and they would say to us, eh, you're not that bad. A few loose tiles here and there. You can fix it. I believe in you. Other teachers might leave us devastated with a diagnosis that says everything about you is rotten and unclean. And there's not much we can do about it. But you are a merciful Savior who tells us the truth about the depth of our need. And then you give us hope to say, I will give my spirit to change you, to give you new life. Would you... Draw us to yourself to experience this kind of change and transformation this day and every day through the power of your spirit. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.